From Connext Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. Maybe most importantly, we want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and those brands that call it home can thrive for generations to come. Today, we meet Will McQuain, founder of Good Cigar Company. Will discovered cigars as a teenager and became fascinated with the opportunities they created, whether it was a celebration or just good conversation. But like a lot of industries, the cigar world was a bit of an exclusive club. And that's where Good Cigar Company sees a big opportunity. What if there was a brand that rejected the stuffy, exclusive nature of the old cigar guard and offered a solution that allowed everyone to enjoy the experience? That is the story of Good Cigar Company and its founder, Will McQuain. Will, you are the founder of Good Cigar Company. And if you met somebody walking on the street today on your way home, and they said, Will, what do you do? What would be your answer to that question? I like to say sometimes to people when I'm having a cigar with someone, especially if they're new to it, if they're uncomfortable, I say, hey, it's okay, I can teach you. I'm literally a professional at teaching people how to smoke cigars. So that's probably not exactly how I'd describe it. Um, But I would say that I run a website that's designed to make cigars modern and approachable. That's how I'd sum it up. So, obviously, you had to have been a cigar guy beforehand to have wanted to, to yeah. accomplish that goal. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I was always this guy, and I, or, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of people know this guy. I was always the guy who would show up to, like, a bachelor party mm-hmm. or a weekend getaway or golf outing with a bag of, sometimes, like, you know, a nice travel humidor, sometimes just, like, a loose Ziploc bag right. with cigars and... I always found that when I would do that, everyone, you know, nine out of 10 guys would smoke and there's always people who don't and that's fine. But uh, when I did that, I discovered that everyone really enjoyed it. It has this amazing ability to elevate a celebration or just create space for conversation. And then the other thing that you notice is that no no one has any idea what they're doing. (laughs) And I think that's because there's a big gap or I see a big gap between the way that cigars feel when you sit down with someone and, and have a cigar mm-hmm. uh, and the way that cigars present themselves in the industry. I think that there's a certain look. I think that a lot of cigar identity and branding is stuck in the early 90s of, you know, this is this is a symbol of luxury and success and here's my sports car and here's my nice watch. Yeah. And the people that I know who smoke cigars, it has very little to do with that for them. So. Right. So tell me your first experiences with smoking a cigar. How did you get introduced to it in the first place? Gosh. Um, I mean, my first cigar was probably like a Swisher Sweet when I was <laughs> camping or a Black and Mild. Although yeah. I don't know that given who I am now, I don't think I would count that. I would say it was probably a, a punch on the porch of my house when I was... Probably when I was 16, I think that my older brother... Okay. was graduating high school. Obviously, you have a cigar when you graduate. That's sort of like symbol of the of a job well done and a transition into the next chapter. 
And so a friend of his brought some cigars, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, it just I, I didn't. I don't think I fell in love with it right away, but it became something that we would do with my brothers yeah. and, and our friends in the neighborhood, especially around the time that I was a senior in, in high school and when I was graduating, moving to college, right. I um, I didn't, didn't drink at the time, and so cigars provided this vehicle to sort of sit down and, and chill with with somebody for two hours. I, I think that it's not it's not always natural for men to say like, hey, let's sit down, and I guess in a <laughs> podcast scenario, that that's exactly what you do. But there's not yeah. a lot of excuses to say like, hey, do you wanna go sit and talk for two hours? <laughs> and cigars, force you to do that exact thing and it's right but without it being awkward because you know if there's any kind of a pause or whatever it doesn't you're not there for the conversation you just take a drag of your cigar and you uh i think it just creates a really great platform i think it's fun uh one of the things that we're trying to do with some of the content that we're creating is show to showcase that cigars are a great way to get to know someone you can (laughs) sort of sit down with someone that you don't know and by the end of a cigar kind of feel like you know them a little bit so you're a cigar guy, but ultimately you just like long, uh, meaningful conversation. Yes, I see cigars. <laughs> I think so. I think that cigars have always, that's my favorite part about the cigars. But that's I reached great. a point where, because uh, to me they were just an excuse to sort of create that environment. Right. Um, we would smoke cigars and we would drink cream soda. Those were, that was the go-to combo. Excellent. Which, IBC? Yeah, definitely. Oh, only uh, Only IBC. Um, Great branding by the folks over at IBC. <laughs> I totally agree. Because yes. at the time you feel cool because you're holding a glass bottle that looks like a beer, but you're not <laughs> drinking a beer, which is ideal when you're 17. Um, uh, that's true. And that's true. and I still I don't drink much cream soda at all these days, but I do think there there was something there about sort of offsetting this thing that was that can be spicy with yeah. something that that's sweet. Um, but I, I reached a point where. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of walking into the to the shop and just guessing. Like, I would just go in and be like, oh, I like this label, or I've mm-hmm. had this before. And it reached a point in early college where I thought, you know, I want to. I'm starting to nerd out about mm-hmm. this a little bit. Yeah. And when you want to nerd out about cigars, there is an infinite amount. I mean, there's an <laughs> infinite depth to how far into it you can yeah. get. And groups and and conferences and you know. All these sorts of things that people do when they nerd out about something that is readily available to the to the cigar aficionado. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think um, a part of the reason for the company is that uh, the deeper that you get into that scene, it isn't always the most inviting or approachable <laughs> thing to walk into a cigar shop is even if you're like earnest and excited as I was in college I would sort of get these glares from the 55 year old men who were right. in there every day being like what are you what are you doing in here I think a lot of people thought would sort of like eye me in the humidor thinking I was going to steal something yeah and that my experience was that I wanted so desperately to be a, a part of this scene and didn't feel like anyone was really doing anything to help invite me in so that's something that that's a big part of what I'm trying to do with good cigar companies to say that hey there's something this is really great to do uh, yeah. on occasion and it's really fun and it can be really intimidating you have there's so much that goes into it it's like uh, to smoke a cigar you need you can't just like bring a cigar and cut right. it you need something to cut with you need right. something to light with the cigar needs to be kept in a humid environment between 68 and 72 percent humidity yeah. And then you kind of have to know what you're doing. How do you know what's uh, what's good, what's worth smoking? How do you know yep. 
uh, what's too strong for you as a beginner. Uh, and then, I mean, it's, it's not a dumb question to be like, and then what side do you light? As yeah. somebody who smokes cigars, you're like, oh, that's step one. But there are a lot of steps. Yeah. And there's so much education that exists in places like, I think the coffee industry does that really well. I think the wine industry does that really well. But both of those are really easy. Like, you already know how to drink a liquid. Sure. Cigars have a built-in complexity that require you to be taught. And once you're taught, you, once you're taught, you, you know what you're doing. And it's, yeah. it's, it's more fun. I think they, a lot of people don't like it because they, you know, they're doing it wrong. They're inhaling, yeah. maybe. Which you're not, by the way, anyone who's listening, if you're having a cigar and you're inhaling... Either you're doing it wrong or you're way tougher than I am. But generally, it's people advise generally against you're doing it. it wrong. Yeah. yeah. People don't recommend that. And I do think, too, that, and this may speak to why, um, you know, some of us have that thirst for knowledge to get farther into the, to the scene. But there is an elegance to cigars mm-hmm. that, that just feels good, you know, that... Um, yeah, it's hard to describe. Especially, but it you does. talked about you know smoking your cigar maybe as a sixteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know as like maybe your dad giving you your first beer, almost like a on steroids feeling yeah. of of manhood of yeah. you know. There's a there's acceptance. a rite of passage. That's I a think, great, about that's a great it, way to put it. Um, yeah. That it feels like it feels ceremonial. Hmm. I think a way to sort of. Um, I like to say that like a cigar is always a celebration. It doesn't it doesn't have to accompany a celebration. But when I sit down to smoke a cigar with someone, I try to sort of say like you know what am I yeah. celebrating? Because it does seem to just create space for you to uh, sit and think. And I think you're savoring something. And sure. for a lot of people, it's about savoring an accomplishment, right? Like you just graduated, or hmm. you just had your first child, yeah. or you know any number of of different celebrate you just opened yep. a restaurant there's all you know the, uh, big occasions you in just people's life are, are marked exactly yeah. are marked. that's why you see people at the, the world series with like chomping on a cigar exactly because it it just seems right it's like sure. you, you light up and you're like yeah this is how i want to savor this this achievement cigars have been a part of will's life since he was a teenager but there's a big difference between something you enjoy and the career path you choose for will the pursuit began in a place fittingly referred to as Tobacco Road. I went to Wake Forest okay. in Winston-Salem, uh, which I think you know, is eerily prescient for what I'm doing now just because it's, I mean, that school is built with tobacco mm-hmm. money. It's in Winston-Salem. Tobacco Road. It's tobacco, Winston-Salem, yeah. North Carolina. We, you know, we lived in, took classes in Salem Hall or Winston hmm. uh, Dorm. There's just... I don't know if Winston Dorm's a thing, but everything there is named after, has some sort of connection to the Reynolds family. Um, And so while I was at school, actually, I I took an entrepreneurship class. This was sort of like when I was getting that early thirst for, you know, just thinking that it would be fun to to go on my own and start something. And the professor asked a question. He was like, hey, you know, what students in here have a a venture on campus? And like (laughs) half the hands went up. And I was like, what? I had had never (laughs) occurred to me to do that. And so... As I was learning about business and accounting for the very first time, learning words like fixed cost and variable mm-hmm. cost and margin, uh, I started a, I'm putting air quotes up, but started a, like a, my first company, which was not at all a company. I don't think that we were legally recognized or did any of the, the paperwork, but, and I called it Wake Cigar Company, which to me was just an exercise in learning these things. I'm like, yeah. okay, my fixed cost was I have, I'm buying a humidor for $80 and then 
uh, I'm buying, you know, 10, 10 cigars of each intensity and I would try to sell them to frat guys or to various, you know, football yeah. games around campus. And that was to me like how I learned, you know, the ropes sure, of trial run. Basically. Exactly. So that, and that was yeah. at the time where I was, I was getting into it as a hobby and I thought, Oh, there's, there's, you know, this would be fun as a way for, I'm already interested in learning about cigars. So yeah. while I was at school, I briefly ran, I think we, I think it maybe did a thousand dollars in sales the yeah. whole time I was there. So, I mean, the cigar though is anywhere from what, five to $15 mm-hmm. on average. So, I mean, it's a lot of cigars. Yeah, we did. It was, I, I mean, I learned a lot about the, the parts of the business that I liked and the parts that I wasn't that good at. I was terrible at sort of like, you know, just walking up to a group of rat guys being like, right. hey, do you guys want to smoke a cigar? And the answer was almost always no. Um, it worked better at tailgates. But the thing that yeah. that worked very well was there's a tradition where, the, you know, the frat guy would invite uh, a girl to mountain weekend or beach mm-hmm. weekend. And the tradition was that the girl would, the guy would pay for the cost of everything, which was really expensive. And the girl would put together a cooler full of drinks and supplies right. for the weekend. And so I sent out an email to all of the sorority listservs saying like, hey, if you want to do something nice for your date, I'll put together these nice. little cigar packs, which were two cigars, a cutter, matches, and like my business card. And I was like, you know, and when I did that, I think I sold, I'd sell like 50 of them yeah. for 25 bucks. And I was like, this, that, you know, it, it, that went, was no, it went nowhere. That was you. the seed planting yeah. of realizing that there's, there's an opportunity in making cigars easy to understand and easy to buy for sure. people who would like to buy a gift for somebody, but just have no idea where to start. Well, and it kind of establishes the thought that instead of competing as a cigar maker or as a cigar retailer, mm-hmm how do I go for that secondary market or create yeah. a market that I don't have as much competition? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the first two years, really not, uh, up until maybe two months ago, this changed, but but in the, in the life of the company so far, we have not tried to make a splash in the cigar world. We're, we're trying to go after that person who, who is really into craft liquor or craft yeah. beer and probably would get into cigars if if you know anybody took the time to to make right. it interesting to them sure. and so that's that's been our, our our market is you know uh like gifters and then people who people who just don't see a lot of appeal in the way that the, yeah. the scene looks so you do that at wake but i assume you're at wake for another reason other than to start a cigar company what, yep. was, what was your major uh so i was a general business major so we had a, a business enterprise management with a okay. marketing concentration and i also gotcha. had a concentration in uh, social enterprise management so i was really enamored oh. with things like um like tom shoes like yeah. businesses who who behave with a mission and i think now now that's become totally pervasive sure uh, and and what while i was there took an internship with a with some alumni who were starting a, like a microfinancing organization in South Africa. And so I went there for three months while I was, I was, there were two founders. I was the only intern and I was there. I think before I even got on the plane, I think the business had sort of, they had realized it was crumbling. And so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't learn a lot in doing that. It was great. I got to go to like a world cup game in, nice. in South Africa when that was yes. going on, but, uh, didn't pan out, went back to school, got a totally different job. A lot of people were like getting jobs through their internship and I didn't. And then a few years later, I was, um, so after college, I was in uh, like digital marketing sure. for a few years in Charlotte, North Carolina. And 
saw an article in Forbes about the guy, one of the founders of the company that I had interned for, and he started a company in San Francisco called uh, CrowdTilt, which later turned became Tilt. So this was a, a company that went through Y Combinator, got a lot of yeah. funding from a lot of great investors. And so I was at, you know, not loving my job in Charlotte, still had these kind of like hmm. yearnings from the seeds planted in the entrepreneurship class that I wanted to kind of start something or just be a part right. of something in its earlier days. So I shot him an email and I said, hey, remember me, your intern from a few years ago? Uh, <laughs> you I, on a plane I, with I no still intention. believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, here's three jobs on your company's website that I think I could do. Yeah. And within three weeks, I, my wife and I were on a plane moving to San Francisco. Wow. And so that was... 2014, I think. And did you meet your wife at college? Uh, no, we met uh, at the at a digital marketing company that okay. we, we, we both gotcha. worked at in Charlotte. In Charlotte, gotcha. So you moved to San Francisco and start working with Tilt. Talk to me about that experience of not necessarily being in the in the thick of running a business as the entrepreneur in charge, but observing how how the scene works and how a company goes from you know, zero to 60 in X number of seconds. What was that experience like for you to, to kind of observe all, all that? Oh, it was, I mean, I just, I showed up on day one and was just like feverishly drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like trying to make more Kool-Aid to get yeah. other people to drink it. And I was, I didn't love either of the places I had worked up to that point. My first job, the place where my wife and I worked, I actually got fired uh, mm -hmm. for, I mean, it was kind of like a higher fast fire fast place. I think I was out of, out of my depths as sort of like a quantitative analyst. Okay. Um, and then and didn't, didn't really love that, uh, went to a different job, didn't really love that, and felt like the move to Tilt was I was like, this is, you know, I was like, this is it, this place, this hmm. place has something, something there. And so I, my movement there was I, I saw it, there's a quote, I think it's um, either Sheryl Sandberg or uh, Marissa Miller, that's, uh, if you, if you, if you, find a seat on a rocket ship don't ask what seat just get on and so that was my mindset going <laughs> yeah. to tilt and so i yeah. i have a, had a sort of like data-driven marketing analytics background and got a job doing customer support there so i was like me and one one other uh person doing customer support that was so overwhelmed that they were they were kind of in the thick of it they were yeah. they were so busy responding to customer confusion in this like early days of an app that was breaking yeah. all the time that they didn't have time to do the things you need to do to prevent customer support. And so that's what I did for the first year is kind of helped her. So it was kind of half talking to customers and then half advocating to the developers on behalf of customers saying like, sure. hey, here's all the stuff that's confusing. Here's all the stuff that you can't do. Right. Um, you were a fire, fire, firefighter basically. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just learned a ton about um, you know, how to how to run a sort of breakneck pace growth stage company. Um, and that's, I think there's some lessons that aren't transferable. It's, you run it a certain way when you have $30 million in VC money, yeah. you run it very differently when it's your own 20K or Certainly. 10K from your dad, your friend's uncle. Um, yeah. You just have a lot more opportunities, but it was, uh, it was just a, I mean, really, really transformative. Learned a lot, was surrounded by a lot of really, really smart people um and just the energy of the city i just yeah. you know i would walk to work 10 minutes and you'd overhear little one-on-ones and people talking to investors <laughs> and scheming things in the park and it just felt like really alive with a startup yeah. energy how does your time to at tilt start to come to a close tilt i mean tilt was like the classic 
Silicon Valley uh, rocket ship where we're like two years in. Uh, I mean, there was a we were it was a crowdfunding app, and so there was a. I think one of the craziest things that happened there was we crowdfunded a jet to Vegas for the night <laughs> just to sort of prove out what the platform could, could do. do it. Yeah. But it was also this amazing metaphor for like we thought we were the next Facebook. <laughs> we would um, until I mean a lot, lot of again really smart people and a really great uh, concept. But you know they raised a big Series A, raised a big Series B, got uh, a, another round after that, and then. You know, we're still growing exceptionally fast. Um, I think they were growing for three consecutive years, 20% month over month. Wow. Um, but hadn't quite figured out the, like, the financial engine yet. And, you know, when it came time to raise a Series C, it was like, hey, you know, we can't find a round and we either have to lay off 90% of the company mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, survive and get, and get our burn rate down or sell. And so... Oh. My, I think there was a big round of layoffs. So it got up to 120 employees and then got shaved down to 75. And I think I was on the chop. I was sort of like, if, the, if there had been more chopped. You were like chopped, 73 or 74. I, yeah, I was 73. <laughs> I had a distinct conversation that pointed out pretty clearly that I was 73. But That's, a, uh, that's better than 76. You know? But I realized in that moment that I was like, okay, as much as I love it here, this is not a sure thing. Mm -hmm. And I had... The, the nature of the company, because it was a crowdfunding product, um, after I was in customer support, I ended up being a product manager for the, the B2B side of it. So we had a tool yeah. that was kind of an alternative to Kickstarter. So you would install our, um, our product on your site and it would allow people to take pre-orders for a product that wasn't there yet. So it was, an it was a way to sort of yeah. crowdfund your product into existence without looking like you're a couple guys in the garage, hmm. which is sort of the kick you know, Kickstarter bread and butter. Yeah. And so there were, I got to be behind the scenes on some really amazing growth stories from people. And I think in being in that, that role realized, hey, the, a lot of these people have money. A lot of these people have, have great experience from what they were there before. But a lot of them didn't. A lot of yeah. these people are just, are just risking it. And so I got to sort of watch this playbook get formed of how yeah. to launch a direct consumer company. Um, like, example, like Boosted Boards launched <laughs> on Tilt Pro. Yeah. Uh, away luggage launched on Tilt Pro. Um, Tilt Pro is the name of the, the product. Yeah, and so I I had been thinking in my head of doing something relating to cigars. I was watching this movement in craft beer and that explode, and the movement in craft liquor, and then things like Dollar Shave Club, and sort of felt like there was a swirling right. Venn diagram of sure. opportunity overlapping, and just kept waiting to see if somebody was going to do a cigar, you know, do something in the cigar industry. And no one did. And so yeah. at, at that moment, I think the time when it was, there was a big round of cuts, I started dedicating nights and weekends to the, the concept of what would become Good Cigar Company. It's interesting you said Dollar Shave Club because I was going to ask you, your brand kind of reminds me of that a little Thank bit. Thank you. I, yeah. And, and it's, I think it's what reminds me of it is it's a brand that doesn't take itself too seriously. I yeah. think is one of those things. It's not... You know, and it's kind of, you know, the target market you're reaching, like you said, is not the cigar aficionado that wants to prove that he knows more than everybody else. It's the people that need a little nudge, that yeah. need a little educating. And, yeah. you know, you think back to that, that video that Dollar Shave Club did that has, what, 26 oh gosh, million yeah. hits on YouTube now. And it was kind of something similar. It was, yeah. you know you don't need 37 blades in your razor, right? You know, we can provide you a, a more effective way to get into this 
yeah. game. I do want to ask you, though, before we move into the founding of Good Cigar, Tilt gets acquired by Airbnb. Uh-huh. Uh, you had a little bit of a family connection to yes. the business at the time, and you sort of faced a, a bit of a decision of what you're going to do yeah. next. Is that, am so I I'll, that up well, right? I'll rewind a little bit. Yeah. So uh, in the as Tilt was sort of like in, in its maybe last year, which was fairly rocky, I had already been working on the prototype of for Good Cigar, and so yeah. we were coming up on maybe two months out from Christmas, and I thought, you know what, I want to like, I need to, I need to, I want to test this. So one yeah. of the benefits of working on a crowdfunding platform is you learn the lesson of like, hey, you should let's, you should validate this product mm-hmm. and make sure that people like it or want it before you pour a bunch of time and money into it. And so, uh, I we made a prototype, and I said, if I can sell a hundred of these before Christmas, I think there's something here. And then. I used Tilt, which uh, because I knew how it worked, I was really good at that product, and I had a lot of friends who were already on that platform. And in about ten days, we sold two hundred and fifty of them before Christmas. It's a perfect—I mean, it's just a perfect stocking stuffer for the guy in your life that you don't know what to buy for them, right? Like Mm -hmm. for your uncle or for your cousin, it was twenty-five dollars. And you know, I I came into that was just like absolutely obliterated my wife and I's you know holiday yeah. season we didn't do anything but like sit in our floor we had watching <laughs> watching Christmas yes. movies and packing yeah. like night to day uh, for two weeks and it loved every minute of it I'm sure I did I don't know if yeah. my wife loved every minute of it but she was a trooper and yeah. helping me out and we had some friends who would come over and help um, yeah. and so over Christmas break I was just really sad I was like oh this is a really great idea I'm gonna I'm gonna stay at tilt for you know until this reaches a, a point where I can start to step away and I, I Two days after the Christmas break came in, they're like, hey, um, you know, big news. We've decided to, like, agree to acquisition by mm. from Airbnb. Uh, and, you know, when you work for a company like that, everyone, you're an early employee. You're not making quite what you should. And so all of those companies give you stock. And so everyone's sort of holding on to their tilt equity and stock, yeah. hoping, like, oh, we, we just sold. I hope that we're all, you know, going to make some money. Right. Uh, but it was, you know, the, just the nature of the sale. No one's stock was worth anything. Everyone had to re-interview for their jobs. Uh, and then I was, it was fun because we were getting one version of the story at work of sort of what Tilt was communicating to us. And then at home, I was getting a different version of the story from my wife who had, who had been working at Airbnb for three years. And so went through that interview process and got an offer and then had to decide, okay, do I take this next step with Good Cigar Company that had sort of was I mean, way, way, way too early uh, for me to do it full time. It was going to be light years from being able to like pull a salary sure. from it. Sure. But you know, my wife has this amazing job at Airbnb, and that created this. It just created flexibility and freedom for me to say, you know what, we were young, we don't have kids. Uh, Airbnb is an amazing opportunity, but one of us is already there. So let's now's the time. Yeah, there's almost that risk factor too do we want to put all of our family's chips into this basket yeah and looking back i mean it would be a great basket basket. (laughs) there are not a lot of better baskets to put all your chips in Um, yes that's true it's very true so ultimately you make the decision to to decline that offer and kind of go yeah um, and i was able to as you know when uh, when you have something that gets as big as tilt did even at the moment where you uh start to shut it down it took them a year to to shut it down so i was able to sort of Stop being an employee, start being a contractor, and I uh, 
was able to, to get paid, but I'm not sure exactly who was paying me, if it was Tilts <laughs> Investors or Airbnb, or someone was paying me to help just sunset yeah. everything, it get everybody, get everybody who was on the platform yeah. off the platform. And that created this nice little runway walk for us to put together a website and buy inventory and start to figure yeah. that out. And so that was about uh, you know late January. And then we officially launched in May, almost probably about two years ago, almost to the day. I should yeah. have looked. I actually don't know the date off the top of my head, but two years ago, uh, you know, right in front of, right before Father's Day. Father's okay. Day, Father's Day is like the Super Bowl for cigar companies. You make the decision to go full tilt with Good Cigar Company, and that prompts a bigger decision. You're in San Francisco, San Francisco, mm. California. Yes. What challenges did that pose for starting this cigar company? I always say that I think San Francisco is a phenomenal town to start a company in because I would go and get dinner and, and get to sort of pick the brain of people who were like at uh, Pinterest and yeah. Spotify and just like really people doing uh, really smart people solving really big problems and who had sort of gone from zero to 100,000 yeah. or 10 million users. Not, not that we have any, anywhere anywhere <laughs> near those numbers, but it was just, I mean, the energy, sort of like mm -hmm. I was saying, the energy of that city was really conducive to like reminding you that like, hey, you can do this you, and you should do this. Um, but sort of uh, the downsides are, were, are many that when, when you're not a venture-backed company, I, you know, I've, the first two years is totally self-funded, um, a, a buddy of mine, uh, who now who still works at Square? So my he's uh, I kind of skipped over that part, but I have a, a a co-founder named Andy, and so he as I was working on this, I was like, okay, one of the one of the many there are a lot of hoops to jump through in starting any company, many of them legal, mm -hmm. and then tobacco creating a tobacco company adds a whole other layer on that. So he was a he was a lawyer, and so I was like, Andy, I you know I'd love some help with the legal side of this and this and this. And yeah. he like, and he was interested enough in what I was doing that he ended up helping out uh, from the get-go and is still um, a big part of the, the company. So the doubt, I mean, in those early days, I mean, uh, our, you know, as a family, our salary gets, our take-home gets cut in half. We're bringing mm -hmm. in one salary instead of two. Rent is no cheaper. No. Um, and then the, the big punch in the gut happened when California voted to raise its tobacco tax, which is like a normal thing that you hear about. It's like, oh, uh, the price of a pack of cigarettes in New York is now whatever it is. Um, and given the way that everything is structured, to, you know, cigars are uh, fall under that exact same umbrella. Right. And so our the tobacco tax went from 20% uh, to in July 2016, 2017, um, rose to 65%, <laughs> which made it, in our whole business model immediately unprofitable. We yeah. just could not uh, cover Over, the overnight. Overnight, yeah. And so we had been in San Francisco for about four years at the time. I'm from East Tennessee. My wife's from Florida, and we thought, you know what? Maybe it's time <laughs> to go home. And yeah. uh, we loved living there. But as soon as we moved, we were like, yep, that was the right. That was the right call. Um, and so she went to Airbnb and said, hey, I've loved working here, but I, you know, we got to go. And Airbnb. Thankfully, it was like, well, can you work remote? And she was like, yeah. I wasn't even going to ask because I thought you'd say no, but yes, please. And so yeah. she's um, still with Airbnb and has a, has a really, really fantastic job there. But we, uh, honestly, we picked Atlanta 
a little bit by happenstance. It was like, okay, we need um, we need a big enough market for uh, both of us to find jobs if this doesn't work out. Sure. And we'd already lived in Charlotte. Uh, we didn't really know anybody in Nashville. Atlanta light, Charlotte. And Atlanta, yeah. <laughs> That's a good phrase for it. People from Charlotte hate that, but, you know. <laughs> I spent like, enough years in Charlotte, and it doesn't it doesn't offend me. I think okay, it, that's I, good. It's, it's, there's some truth to it. Uh, and so we just, we, we picked Atlanta, and I didn't, I, I didn't have a lot of expectations for what <laughs> Atlanta was, and then come to find out very quickly that, uh, I mean, Atlanta was, is a, infinitely more accommodating market for what we're doing the you know in, in san francisco if you're going to sit around with your friends for two hours and smoke something it's not going to be a cigar uh and come to atlanta i mean there were there were two places in the city in san francisco where i could go and smoke a cigar and have a drink and in atlanta wow. i've not i've not verified this number myself but i'm told that in atlanta city limits there's 75 it's i believe just, it it's a i believe it it's a cigar town it's sort of it's I think people appreciate it yeah. here. Um, it's kind so of a, it's kind of, this might be the wrong connotation. We like our vices in Atlanta. Yeah. Like there's a, there's yeah. a, there's some, you know, something about that just like, you know, gritty, like mm-hmm. we're all living in the history of this city that yeah. like, you know. And you definitely see it in like, I mean, the craft beer and brewery sure, here. Sure, absolutely. And you know, I think the South, you know, for a long time had that stigma and probably, you know, for good reason of the, you know, kind of backwoods guy with a cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's part of the culture, you know, to have, you know, that something that helps you pass the time. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But not that that's why you moved from San Francisco to it. No, but I mean, it was, I mean, so much of, I think of anybody starting something in the early years is luck and there's Mm -hmm. just a tremendous amount of luck to, um, to know that, I mean, we were never, as a brand, we were never going to try to put down roots and say that we're like proudly a San Francisco company, partly because they were never going to be proud of us sure. and what we're and, and, and what I do. And also, I mean, running a startup in San Francisco, you feel like a drop of water in the ocean. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And um, it has been really fun to come to Atlanta and realize that there's, you know, sort of a, a small but emerging startup scene yeah. here. The community is a lot smaller. It's easier to get around and meet people and become known. And then obviously the, the product is just uh, more, just a lot more loved here than, sure. it, than it was there. It's more part of the culture. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me, so you make the move to Atlanta. What surprised you, other than what we've kind of been talking about, what were those, few, those first few steps once you got here of okay, a big part of your oh business is online, but how do I, you know, I think, take this I mean, brand honestly, that's a, that's a lesson. That's a lesson that we're still learning. We, we, we showed up in November mm-hmm. and then third week of November, um, got some coverage. We had a, a we'd formed a relationship with, um, a country music artist who is a big fan of cigars, uh, named, do you listen to country music? I do. Um, Thomas I do. Rhett. Oh yes. Is a, is a big, uh, cigar guy, and we um, knew somebody who was you know, sort of like related. Uh, grew up with his wife, and right. so we got you know made a connection there, and said, "Hey, would you like post about this around you know like leading up to Christmas? It'd be great." Yeah. Like, and we, we kind of wanted him to do it, and he was like, "Oh, maybe not." And so his wife, um, Lauren, who has you know just just a, a cool 1.5 million <laughs> Instagram followers, um, yeah, 
you know, they really like the product. And so we said, if, you know, if you could post this just like, I don't know, around Black Friday or we didn't give a whole lot of direction. Yeah. Uh, and I remember getting an Instagram notification that was like, oh, you like, you know, Lauren Rett tagged or Lauren Aikens tagged you in a post on Instagram. And I was yeah. like, this is here a, we go. Here we go. Yeah. And we at that time were doing, you know, five, six orders a day <laughs> and overnight for two weeks straight did a hundred dollars a day. We made wow. from, from that post, we did 24 K in sales in 24 hours. Um, it was just the perfect <laughs> confluence of, of audience. I think she was like, Hey, this is, I mean, I, I could still probably quote her little like three frame Instagram story from memory, but yeah. she's like, you know, Hey, like I know cigars aren't great for you, but my dad really loves cigars and this is what I'm getting for Christmas and yeah. just showed our product. And, and we were flooded yeah. with, uh, People who were like, this is a great gift for my dad or my sure. husband or my brother. And at the time, we were still shipping product from my house. I mean, I did not have enough inventory to <laughs> I handle was gonna that. Ask, that seems like a that, happy and terrifying thing all at once. Hap yes, happy and terrifying. We, um, I had hired, we, I mean, I sort of I was like, okay, let's start packing them up just like mm -hmm. last year. And we realized, we're like, okay, the number that we're going to get through ourselves mm -hmm. is not going to come close. So I got on TaskRabbit, hired like five TaskRabbits to come uh, to our house the next day, just like, you know, people, just extra hands. Yeah. And that was the one day last Christmas that it snowed. It was like the one big snow day. So all five mm -hmm. of them canceled. We had been in this neighborhood wow. for three weeks and I got on the neighborhood Facebook group and I said, Hey, I run a small company and I like, if anybody needs any like extra Christmas money, yeah. I'm paying $20 an hour and I need help. And within 10 minutes we had five people from the neighborhood nice. and it was, and then for two weeks straight, we just had strangers in our house that yeah. were, that we got to know. It's like a pretty great way to, you know, plug into right. the neighborhood and we're doing runs twice a day to the post office over in East Atlanta mm -hmm. and would just fill up my Subaru with, boxes, drive to the post office, come back. Mm. And we would sort of like five o'clock would hit, the post office was closed and we would just sit for an hour and sort of like breathe and like order pizza. <laughs> and then yeah. seven, 7 PM we would, a lot of times a different shift of like neighbors would show up and we would start yeah. packing. Cause we had to, I mean, everything was being shipped to my house, the cigars, yeah. the bags, the boxes, the crinkle paper. Um, and it was somehow and even, I mean, just obliterated our Christmas yeah. even more than the first year. Sure did uh what a great story though like yeah yeah you get, to, you get to know your neighbors and you fulfill this you know huge order mm -hmm. from a uh a post from a country music singer's wife on oh Instagram. my gosh it was it yeah. was it was crazy and so that uh, that sort of got us to a velocity where we could outsource fulfillment so we now yeah. we don't have to sort of i mean just recently we finally got rid of the last like cigar boxes from my apartment but we have like pictures of there's just like a pile in the corner of our apartment of yeah of, 200 300 empty cigar boxes yeah. uh, and so we now have um, a fulfillment center that does that which frees up a, you know a tremendous amount of time for sure. me to not you know it's I think with any any entrepreneur you're you spend some time working in the business and sometime working on the business mm -hmm. and when you're when you're packing and when you're assembling and, you're packing and shipping your own yeah. product I mean that was uh, for a time that was five hours a day for me sure. and there's just a limit to how much I can get the word out and, right. and build out other things that need to get done when I'm kidding it up. Yeah, there's this feeling, I think, you know, I experience it too um, in kind of a different, it manifests itself differently, but like you said, the amount, amount of time spend, spent working in the business and thinking, yeah. 
I'm keeping as much margin as I can possibly yeah. muster help to help this thing grow, to feed the family, whatever it might be. But your growth curve is going to be a lot yeah. shallower yeah. if you are if you're not innovating, if you're not working on new product, you yeah. know, whatever it might. It's be. like you think that the risk comes at the beginning and then the risk mm -hmm. is over, but the risk is like you're always taking risks sure. to say like, okay, I need to let's like invest in this thing. Let's invest. Let's let's cut into our margins so that we can free up time and hope right. that we can continue to grow in a way that outpaces yeah. you know the constriction of cash yeah. flow. All about the math. Smaller margin yes. at 10 times the quantity is okay. Yeah. You know? In the midst of a whirlwind career change and a move from San Francisco, Will was establishing the core tenets of the Good Cigar brand, both visually and in its personality. In that process, he began to create a voice for the company. Approachable, charming, adventurous, witty. These were all traits he wants to fold into the Good Cigar brand. I think of everything that, that, everything that you get to do and everything that you have to do, that's been my favorite part. I don't have a background in design or branding, and I think any job that I would have got, nobody would let me touch their brand, because mm -hmm. why? I've, I, there, I have no experience to suggest that I was gonna be good at that, and so this was a way for me to say, hey, I don't have to ask anybody else. Right. I have a vision for right. what I want this to look like. And you mentioned Dollar Shave Club earlier. I, there's this book that I love, um, called Steal Like an Artist, which is the, the central thesis of the book is that like, uh, if, if you're inspired by everyone, if you, if you try to, if you steal a little bit from everybody, people will look at you and you know, people will, will say, oh my gosh, you're so original. If you steal yeah. from one person, you're, you're a thief. But mm. there's, you know, it's the idea that everything is kind of a remix. And even mm. if you tried to emulate something exactly, you wouldn't be able to, and that frees you up creatively sure. to, to do something. So we made, I made a list of brands that I love that I wanted to kind of look like, yeah. um, like Dollar Shave Club was one, Harry's Razors was another. Yep. Um, the, see, both of those brands that you just yeah. mentioned, by the way, have a quality that's sort of innately masculine and mm -hmm. elegant to mm -hmm. them. It's, yeah. uh, it's interesting that you say that. So um, is that, um, and just a handful of others and like, you know, Huckberry and, uh, wilderness collective just like people that i really yeah. liked on instagram and their website and the design and uh i i i made the first version of this in the most sophisticated design tool that i knew how to use at the time which was powerpoint so i <laughs> i made a two slide powerpoint presentation yes. that was the front and back of the bag awesome and ended up working with a friend of mine at tilt who's a designer and said hey can you make me help can you help me make this look better Huh. And so um, that's his. His name is uh, Anthony Grant, super talented designer sure. in San Francisco. That sort of helped with. Um, I had the I had kind of the rough like colors, um, but he helped with. I mean fonts and spacing. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm obsessed with. So this is our first product. We have another mm -hmm. product which I, I don't think that I brought, but. Um, I fell in love with, with packaging design because that was, I think, a big opportunity in the cigar space is, you know, you've got cigars that are either sold individually and then put in an ugly Ziploc bag right. or in a, in a cedar box of 25. And I like cigars enough to start a cigar company, and I've never bought a box of 25 right. cigars. So there was, an, I think, an opportunity in packaging it in a yeah. way that's similar to the people that I knew and how they actually wanted to experience cigars. That's interesting. Um, Cause anytime you buy one or two cigars, even from a shop, you get like a little plastic sleeve, mm -hmm. 
you know, which is fine and functional. But like, if a friend of yours just had a baby and you wanted to say, "Hey, congratulations!" Like, you're going to show up with this like dangling cigar in a Ziploc bag, and that's (laughs) that undermines, I think, the. I don't know. This yeah. is <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with and so, and even on the back, I think we knew that there would be a lot of people uh, enjoying this who maybe weren't that familiar with cigars. And a lot of people don't like cigars because they hmm. have a bad first experience because no one no one shows them how to cut it or that they shouldn't inhale. Or yeah. so everything about the design was aimed at that. And so we have instructions on the back for how sure. to smoke a cigar. You've Opportunity never, to educate. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think also uh, the packaging too in the size of packaging that you chose provides you a, a big opportunity on the back to also inject a little personality yeah. into yeah. what you do and kind of further build your brand based on the copy that you choose yep. on this backside, which is really cool. We have a line on the back there that, because one of the benefits of the packaging is that it'll keep your cigars uh, in, in the right humidity. Right. So we have a, an insert in there that's made by a company called Bovida that will regulate the humidity to an exact percentage and will hold that humidity for six months. So it's a way for you to like, you rip it open and your cigars are, you know, anyone who's got like cigars in your sock drawer that your dad brought home from Cuba three months ago, I have bad news for you. They're, they're done. Mm -hmm. They're dead. They're dry. And so that was, our package does that automatically. And so we have a line on the back that says, Cigars stay fresh for three months, give or take. We're not scientists. <laughs> and that was funny at the time. And we figured out now it's actually more like six months. And we sort of, we're not the, yeah. we haven't become scientists, but we figured out a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it was just, it's, it, it was fun and it still is fun to, hmm. uh, you know, sort of find your brand voice and find yeah. personality and inject that into your packaging or your website. I heard it said hmm. once that, um, you know, packaging is kind of like user interface for the real world. Yeah. And that's, you know, UX, UI is such a big focus online. Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of brands are coming around to figuring out how important it is and how differentiating it can be to have great packaging, especially in the age of Instagram where everybody is kind of consuming things. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and showcasing yeah. them at the same time. It's cool. So we talked about what was in the package. So you get two cigars. Yep. Obviously opportunity, uh, you don't want to smoke by yourself. Yeah. You don't yeah, want to be yeah. that guy. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I think it, it can be fun to sort of sit and thoughtfully sort of unwind. We don't want to like, uh, you know, say that that's a wrong way to smoke. Yeah. But I think for the audience that we knew we were going after, it's a social thing. Sure. And so we wanted, we wanted you to have one and one to share. I wanted you to be able to like bring this to a wedding and end up like, you know, right. handing one to the father of the bride and be like, hey, congratulations and sort of build connections yes. there. Because from the get go, that's what, me and my friends that's what we really liked about cigars is creating that social environment to just spend time and right. and, and hang out so there's there's two cigars one for you one to share and there's a cutter which you will need if you yeah. are going to smoke a cigar there's matches which you will need um, and then we put in uh, tasting notes in there to describe the cigar kind of Excellent. like what you're used to with wine yeah. and I th- the idea is when you you know if I were just hand you a glass of wine and you take a sip you're like, oh, that's great. I enjoy it. But when you go to the vineyard and someone shows you the barrels and swirls it around and tells you Different what to, experience, just yeah. tells you about it, the same exact glass of wine with the context and with the story, you're going to enjoy it more. Yeah. And so the kind of, um, we haven't really gotten into much of like the business, the business model and sort of vision and purpose for it. But we, um, you know, we see ourselves and we describe ourselves to cigar manufacturers as um, a marketing company to them. So this is a way to get your cigar in the hands of someone who yeah. 
um, is, is still looking and finding their way around the cigar scene, and we can put your cigar in, knowing it's in great quality, because we have humidity controls, which a lot yeah. of, you know, if shops that aren't well run don't. Yeah. Um, and we can, we can, you know, describe your cigar, give it to the type of person who's going to enjoy it. We, I can give, like, you know, Cigar Aficionado's number one cigar of the year to someone who's never smoked, and they're not going to like it because it's going to be too strong for them. Right, um, right. So you're a curator. Yes, absolutely. As much as uh, as much as a manufacturer, really, at this point, and and that kind of leads me into my next question, um, which is, how does where do you see good good cigar evolving? Do you kind of scale on what you've already done? Do you have some? Great question. I also you know and throw into this answer. I know you guys recently um, started a subscription service, which I'd love for you to to kind of educate us about, but. Wrap that into what you think the future holds for Good Cigar. Sure. So we, I'll start with the subscription model. So we, you know, the first two years, we, um, I think we did exactly what we set out to do. We were, you know, we want to make cigars modern and approachable. And we made this great entry point for people who are more what we call like celebratory or occasional cigar yeah. smokers. Um, but then, you know, what that leaves out is an audience of people who are smoking a little bit more regularly, who are who are interested. You know, we we almost solve the problem if you don't want to nerd out, we do the nerding out for you. <laughs> but there's another type of customer who does want to nerd out. And so, um, about two months ago, we launched uh, sort of a, a membership and subscription program called the Back Room. Hmm. And the idea there is that you come to our website and you take a quiz. So we learn a lot about you, about your palate, about your taste, about you know what cigar gear you have, about how often you smoke. And then we are building an algorithm that will select cigars uh, each month for you. Uh, yes. Um, and so it's not a system where if you're a member of the back room, you're getting the same cigars as no, everybody else. No, not at all. There and there are a handful of great companies who who do that. But our approach is we want, to, uh, you know, we describe it as a it's the the first intelligent cigar subscription. Yeah. So there are services like this for coffee. There are services like this for wine. We're not totally inventing a new playbook yeah. here. Um, but the idea is that, that we're sending you cigars that we think that you like based on that quiz, but we're also uh, building out ways to collect that feedback. So we, uh, in a week, are launching, you know, in the same way that these include uh, a little card that comes with it, we're redesigning new cards for the back room members where the front of it, you get basic stats, stuff that yeah. you can know if you want to go and buy it again. But on the back, um, there's a, a really, really well-designed, um, just very cool-looking scorecard, sort of like... Like what you'd see, like an old man at a baseball game yeah. filling out scorecards. Yeah. So we build that out so that you can systematically, structurally review a cigar, and then as a way to uh, collect feedback, you can take a picture of that and send it to us, and we'll use that information to guide and to change better your subscription. Your so the more that, forward. the longer that you're a part of the membership, and the more feedback that you're sharing with us, the more we mm -hmm. understand what you like, and then we can start to build out this collective. Um, you know, crowdsourced uh, data on what everybody thinks about yeah. uh, a cigar. Like for you to say that something is earthy might be the same that I thing that I mean when I say a cigar is leathery. Yeah. And by standardizing yeah. that process, we can sort of say like, hey, this isn't just one guy at Cigar Aficionado's sure. review of a cigar, but this is our collective community's hmm. opinion about it. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean that I won't. But we yeah. can start to, you know, identify patterns and do recommend you, it that, that way. Do you foresee a day where you create your own cigars yes eventually i think that um it's an it's uh, i i believe so i don't know how long it will take for us to get there yeah. um 
we're, we're, we're already partnering with um, some manufacturers on uh, like private labels. Yeah. So we, yeah. we uh, it'll be a long, long time, I think, before we go to like have our own factory sure. or have our sure. own farm. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, obviously, to vertically integrate down that road. You can yeah. save a ton on, on margin. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the time, we really want to perfect this engine, this recommendation engine. And then the yeah. more that we understand about who likes what, we can use that data sure. to then understand what to make and how to exactly. make it and, and what regions and how, you know, how things are rolled. If, we, if mm-hmm. we're tagging all of that effectively, uh, just the behavior of subscription and what, yeah. people, what feedback people are giving us will be really, really insightful for us to do that. <laughs> but I think before we do that, we'll probably uh, get into having our own lounge. Yeah. which I think I'm more excited about. Interesting. Yeah, so t- keeping it a little more local, you know, and providing yeah. that, uh, that physical space. Yeah, that- I think there's, a, there's an amazing trend in uh, a lot of these direct-to-consumer online companies mm-hmm. like Casper Mattress or Warby yeah. Parker where they're like, oh, we're, you're saving money because we don't have a storefront. And then now <laughs> they all have storefronts. And what they're, what they're learning is that when you're a brand like that, your, um, your storefront can become almost like a billboard for you that yeah. like everything is moving towards, you know, I think the, the it's your showroom. Yeah. And, the, and the, yeah. I think brick and mortar stores that are shutting down are people who are failing to adopt it, that yeah. model. Yeah. And I think that works for cigars mm. so much better than it works for anything else mm. because you know, as, uh, I don't, there's not going to be some massive turning point where suddenly the government's like, you know what, we did a study and, Cigars are fine, and now you can smoke a cigar mm-hmm. in a park again, or now you can, you know, it's, it's being restricted to the point where I think the only two places where you'll be able to enjoy a cigar are your house and a cigar lounge. And mm-hmm. I, I describe it to people like bowling. Like, the only place you go bowling is a bowling alley. Right. And I think that shift will force force or allow cigar lounges to really step up their game, and I think you'll, you'll start to see a lot, of, a lot more interesting just... Um, places to go and enjoy it and if we can combine you know brick and mortar as a place to experience it and then have all of this data and all of this convenience about you know tracking an online account yeah. um that we can you know that helps us understand what we should stock in our humidor right. rather than just having a store manager kind of guess what people wants to buy, want to buy well it's also um, providing you a whole nother subset of data from the people that come into your yeah. lounge and it sure. allows us to deliver even more on that initial promise of wanting to make cigars modern and approachable <laughs> it was this was started because for a lot of people like for my mom who might want to buy me a cigar for christmas like yeah. she's not going to enjoy walking into a cigar shop <laughs> probably because like because people like my mom don't walk into cigar shops yeah. and yeah. i think there's a huge opportunity to redesign the physical space and redesign how the, how a store feels and how cigars are sold and how cigars are, are experienced in yeah. that where you open it up to a type of person who previously wouldn't have thought that they would ever go and do that. Yeah. So, Will, I, uh, I do want to talk to you about the, the, the little elephant in the room, and you just touched on it, is uh, the, the federal government. They, it's not going back the other way. And that has a lot of right. ramifications for you guys from an advertising standpoint. Yes. Yeah. How have you worked in your business to, to get around those um, those advertising restrictions and to educate the public yeah. on what you're trying to do as so, a business? Yeah. For I guess for, for anyone who, who isn't reading between the lines there, uh, it is incredibly difficult for us as an online business to uh, acquire new customers. Mm-hmm. So um, you think about the ways that you would do that 
as a, as a, a store owner or a brand owner is like Facebook ads and Instagram mm -hmm. ads or Pinterest or Google. Ad, you know, my background in digital marketing is getting good right. at like uh, you know AdWords and keyword search mm -hmm. related ads. Everything I just mentioned and more has in their terms of service, like a section where they say like the following services are prohibited, prohibited, you know, no porn, no gambling, no tobacco. Mm -hmm. And we get lumped into that. And, uh, you know, customer acquisition for us is like, uh, you know, fighting with one hand tied behind our back. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I think that uh, forces us to be really creative. I think mm -hmm. it forces us to make a really, to care a lot about our product. Um, because I think, you know, I think a lot of people can get addicted to, uh, you know, Facebook marketing and sure. those acquisition costs tend to yeah. go up over time. Um, but that's, that's tricky. It's tricky. Hmm. It's tricky for us. Um, you know, part of that, part of the reason that we designed the product the way we did is that there's an, an almost an inherent growth mechanism to the fact that there's two cigars. So yeah. if someone buys you this for Christmas or you buy it for yourself, there's another cigar in there. So right. if you have a friend over and smoke and there's, we're sort of like, that's the best person for us to that we exactly. want to find out about Good Cigar Company, and here you are sharing our product with them. Right. So there's little things like that, um, and well, we can you still also have, you almost have to your level of customer service and customer relationship and kind of um, brand loyalty has to be yeah, kind you, of you, at an all time high. You have to do that really, really well. Yeah. Which again serves I'm served really well by my experience of, of sure. joining Tilt in the first year sure. I was in customer support and yeah. that and that um, you know, that matters a huge amount. Hmm. Um, so we are uh, I mean, getting back to one of your original questions about, uh, you know, how do we how do we plug in to the city now mm -hmm. that like you know we moved here, the, for three months we were totally underwater yeah. and just getting orders out that we didn't get out and, and meet people or do anything. But we are <clears throat> um, now just looking at at Atlanta and saying how do we how do we establish ourselves here? How do we become like a Monday Night Brewing around Atlanta? We yeah. wanna we want to be known as an Atlanta uh, brand like mm -hmm. cigar. The cigar scene is so so huge here, and I think there's an opportunity for us to sort of plug into that and create just a you know a, a loyalty among people who are excited about us because we're here and because we're contributing to to the cigar scene here in the city. So whether you are an aficionado or you just have a little something special to celebrate, give this Atlanta-based brand the opportunity to set you up with a cigar. I'm sure they'll make it a good one. To learn more about Good Cigar Company, you can visit their website, goodcigar.co, or follow them on social media at Good Cigar Co. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media production company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you're looking to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectsatl.com. Special thanks go out to Chris Hilliard, Joshua Pruitt, and our families who make it all possible. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com.
For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you all soon.